Thanks, Dave. Good morning. Are you all awake? It's cold, hey, and wet and cuddly bed weather. Um, but I'm glad you're all here this morning. And yeah, it's always such an honor for me to um, share from this platform. And today, even more so, great privilege to be able to share on Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to you. And um, as Dave said, my name's Maria, for those of you that don't know me. And I have three little followers um, that are ages six, three, and seven months old. So my hubby and I are in the, in the small children trenches. <laughs> I'm sure you guys can remember what those, those days are like, very busy. Um, but yeah, we're really loving it. Um, hard, but loving it. And um, yeah, before we begin though, this morning, um, I just really felt stirred to remind everyone in the room, as we've been saying kind of throughout the service, that we really hold all mothers close today. And I know um, from personal experience that Mother's Day can be a painful day. And that's because there can be a lot of pain and loss associated with motherhood. And um, that can be in many different forms, whether you are struggling with infertility or maybe you've lost babies to miscarriage or abortion or to adoption, or um, maybe you've lost a child or even a grown child, or maybe you've lost your mother, or you're a single mom today, or you've lost physical uh, proximity with your mom, and maybe your children live in a different country to you, as my mom does. So for all of those reasons, I believe we need redemptive motherhood. And there's only one person who can, who can redeem motherhood for us. And so today, I'm just going to um, light this candle. I just felt like God put this on my heart to do today. Um, and I'm going to light this candle for those moms today. And at any point through the service, um, if you're feeling um, those feelings of loss, I just want, hope that this candle will remind you that in motherhood, we carry both pain and joy in each hand, okay? There was no truer statement than that that someone once told me. We carry joy and pain with us on our motherhood journey. So I'm going to light this candle today, and I hope that it gives you courage in who Jesus is to you today. Yay, rain, that's all. All right, so all of that being said, we know that not all motherhood comes through our physical bodies, hey. Um, motherhood can also be a force that's placed within our heart because it's part of the father heart of God. Does that make sense? All right? So, in fact, throughout Scripture... If you read from the Old Testament straight on through to the, to the New, God actually shows us pictures of his father heart and his mother heart. His father heart is the protector, and his mother heart is the nurturer. And God is both. He is the nurturer and the protector. And one of my favorite, favorite images of God as protector and nurturer is found in Isaiah 42. And if you go and look, you'll see that God describes himself as a mighty man of God, like a warrior coming out to battle to fight for his people, 
And in the very next verse, he says, I'm also a woman in the throes of childbirth, screaming out for your deliverance. So we have these two comparing images of the father heart of God and the mother heart of God all tied up into one. Because God, it's in the heart of God that we are mothers and fathers. And I am really passionate about moms. They are the backbone of our nation, and they are some of the most resilient and gritty humans I've ever met. Hey, can you, can you think of one or two of those? Um, recently, Karen Marie shared at our moms group, and she introduced us to the word brutiful. Do you know what that means? It means brutally beautiful. And I think that that is a perfect word to describe motherhood. It is brutally beautiful in so many ways. Mothers simply carry on carrying on. Okay? We carry on carrying on. And becoming a mother profoundly changed who I am. Mostly because it humbled me. It cut me off at the knees. Okay? I think moms can also identify with that, that all of the things that you maybe thought it would be and all ex expectations that you had were very different to the reality of what motherhood is. And so I came face to face with my own um, humanity and inability to be the perfect mom. And so today I actually titled the sermon, um, Carrying the God Who Carries Me. And carrying my children, as my husband's doing now, um, has, has been such a picture of God to me in how he carries us and we carry him. And we're going to speak a little bit more about that today. So I, I just want to say from the beginning that it's only Christ in me that sustains me. It's only Christ in me who allows me to walk the journey with my children as a mother in this world. But as I was just praying about the sermon today and just throughout the week, I was just asking God, what do you really wanted to say to mothers today? And the, the thing that just kept coming back to me that I really felt was on the Father heart for you today was to remind you that you are powerful. Mothers are so powerful. They are a force to be reckoned with. We have the capacity to change the entire course of human history in what we do and in who we raise. So turn to a woman close to you and say, there is no such thing as just a mother. Find a woman next to you. You are not just a mother. There's no such thing as just a mother. But you see... This is exactly why our God-given assignment of mothering is under attack. And it has been so since the dawn of time. From patriarchy to progression, mothering has been stripped of its inherent value. And I can't speak for anyone else's culture, but I can speak for mine. For modern Western society, which often can have the facade of supporting moms, but it's actually just that. It's a facade. Um, the one thing that we often say to each other in our moms group is that we must 
society expects us to work as if we aren't mothers and mother as if we don't work. It places impossible expectations onto women. And most of those are socioeconomic factors that are out of our control. And so society often forces mothers away from their babies much sooner than the mothers want and much sooner than is optimal. I've never ever met a mom that was ready to go back to work. And so from pregnancy to, through to birth and breastfeeding to maternity leave all the way through to adoption processes, mothers are often left between a rock and a hard place. And this is the reality that we often don't speak about. The other thing that our society has a very strong undercurrent about is that children are not often celebrated. They're actually seen as an inconvenience. And um, one of the <laughs> things I love about the USA is when we go, they're always like, wow, only three kids. And we come back to South Africa and they're like, whoa, three kids. That's so many kids. <laughs> but it's our undercurrent of the fact that three children is an inconvenience. You need a bigger car. That's the general saying that I get. You need a bigger car. Actually, I don't need a bigger car. It's okay. Um, but I'm here this morning to tell you, in the words of C.S. Lewis, that children are not a distraction from the greater work. They are the greater work. I'm going to say it louder because I don't think you heard. Children are not a distraction from the greater work. They are the greater work. That's why the children were here this morning. That's why the children are here praying for their mothers. That's why we don't mind too much when they're running around and acting a little bit crazy because we, we want to embrace who they are because they are so important. So our culture, we know, places very little value on this mothering gig. Um, and that's mostly because our culture places value on things that can have measurable outcomes, right? Um, and you can't measure love. It's impossible. They've tried. They can't do it. But good mothering is so vital to a thriving society. Because our mother is the one who provides us with all of our relational information. Did you know that? From the moment in her womb, through your birth, and throughout your life, she is the very first relationship that you ever have. She's the one that carries you and nurtures you. She tells you that you're safe, that you can trust the world. She teaches you what love is. So researchers are discovering, and this is, it's just so fascinating, that the foundation of one's mental health is established in the first three thousands the first thousand seconds of your birth, the first thousand minutes of your life, and the first thousand days of your childhood, when all your neural pathways are being created in your brain. And this is the days of, of dire dependence on your mother figure, because without your mother, you'll die. Human species can't survive without a carer. They are not like baby buck who are born running <laughs> away from their prey. 
They are the most vulnerable creatures on planet Earth. So mothering cannot be measured, but it's important beyond understanding. But mothers really need a myriad of things in order to do this job well, because it's a big job. Um, and I'm here to tell you this morning that mothering, and fathering for that matter, is the most important job you will ever do. You're, you are completely replaceable at work. They can find a new you tomorrow. They really can. Don't think that you, that you are the top gun. It's just the way of the world. But your children can never replace you. You are irreplaceable to them. And it's so vital to our Christian lives because it teaches the next generation how they're going to relate to Father God. Our earthly relationships deeply, deeply impact our view of God and our intimacy with him. And often in our lives, we all go on a journey of discipleship and we often have to unlearn a lot of those things that we picked up through our earthly parents in order to relate well to a heavenly father. But I want to say to you guys this morning, and we're going to dive into the scripture now, that absolutely no part of this story is irredeemable. No matter what your relationships have looked like or look like presently, everything is redeemable when we meet a God with skin on. So today we're going to look at um, a few things about redeeming motherhood. And we're going to do that through one of the most celebrated mothers in history. And we're going to investigate just why and how she became so esteemed. And this is a mother who literally there are thousands of paintings of her. There are hundreds of songs written about her. There are probably millions and millions of people who have worshipped her. And you all probably know who I'm speaking about, it's Mary. So we're going to look a little bit at her life today. And um, so if you have your Bibles with me, we're going to open to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And we're going to read about the life of this, this mother. So Luke 1, verse 26. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked since I am a virgin. The angel answered, 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Son of God, um, the Holy One to be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. So just a little bit of context before we dive into the scripture. Um, It obviously comes from the book of Luke. And Luke was a Gentile. He was a disciple of Jesus. He was also a traveling companion of Paul. Um, He was a physician by trade. And he takes down the task of writing an extremely accurate historical document on the life of Jesus and his followers. Um, He probably interviewed Mary firsthand. He probably sat and literally wrote this story from her own mouth. The Gospel of Luke is the first book of a two-volume work. The second is Acts. Um, So they're meant to actually be read together, Luke and Acts. And what is so fascinating about the book of Luke are three groups of people that he, he consistently um, writes about. And that's the outcasts, the poor, and women. Now, these were the people of the bottom rung of society. They were the bottom of the ladder. They were not people who were deemed worthy. Um, He also stresses the family circle quite a lot in that all of Jesus' activities included men, women, and children, and the the settings of both of his books are often in the home. So it's in this gospel alone that we learn the most um, regarding the life and call of this very young peasant girl named Mary. And he alternates chapters. Um, Almost every alternate chapter in the book of Luke is about a woman. So he, he, puts high, um, he puts a high spotlight on the life of women, which is amazing for this day. So we know that God's ultimate purpose is to live close to us, hey? From the beginning of time, from the fall, God's ultimate purpose with humanity was to, to get closer to us. So from the patriarchs all the way to this moment, we see God coming nearer and nearer and nearer to us. He dwells in a tabernacle. He dwells in a temple. He then comes to a peasant girl to dwell not among her, but within her. God is moving in. But to do this, he needs someone to carry love and nurture his beloved son. So in verse 26, we have this angel that rocks up on the scene, and he arrives to this very humble and obscure no-name town called Nazareth. And Nazareth, they say, probably had about 500 people in it, so maybe twice the size of our congregation. That's very small, very obscure. It's like, I don't know, what's 500 people? Like Janssenville, okay? something like that, this tiny little dorpy, Um, to a very poor, young, and obscure girl. Obscure. She wasn't a princess in a palace. And the only difference is 
that unlike the town, God knows her name. The angel rocks up and he says to a girl named Mary. And he says to her, you are highly favored. Um, Some translations say you are the graced one. This is a title that he is conferring onto her. And she has yet to do anything. She is 14 years old. I don't know about you, but I had not lived up to my most proud moments by 14 years old. She is extremely young. And he says to her, the Lord is with you. Now this is so significant because throughout the Old Testament, whenever this title was conferred onto people, it was of calling out men to be deliverers of their nation. So it was the same, exact same words that we see with Moses, with Joshua, with Gideon, with Saul, etc. But now he's coming to this very young, obscure girl. This has never been seen before. And she is being designated and called to the office of deliverer and mother. All right? So she, it says in the text, she's troubled by this greeting. She's troubled by the angel's words. And that's because it's completely abnormal. Now, greetings were super important in your ancient Eastern culture. It was very important. And your rank and status within society determined whom one should speak to and what words to use and what titles you would confer. And this angel is coming to this young girl and saying, you are the highly favored one of God. You are the one he's with. And she, I'm sure, is just mind-blowing because this man shouldn't even actually be speaking to her. It was crazy. So it says she was greatly troubled, but he goes on to give her the reason for his visit and to encourage her. And it's so amazing because when you really unpack this this portion of scripture, the angel is tying together language from several different Old Testament texts. And it's both regarding Jesus' humanity and his divinity. And he's tying together his kingdom, his rule, where he's going to be born from, that he's going to establish his kingdom, and that's going to know no end. So, I mean, you can imagine being a young 14-year-old girl, and this angel rocks up to tell you that you are going to be the queen mother of the king of all eternity. I mean, it's just more than one could even imagine. And Mary would have known exactly what those texts were. By being a young Jewish girl in that time, she would have known exactly the meaning of what the angel was saying to her, that the Messiah is on his way. And in verse 34, she says a very practical question how will this be? Because I haven't been with a man. And it's not in unbelief that she says this. In the previous chapter, in chapter one, we have the whole record of Zechariah, her relative, who was a high priest at the time, and he had the vision of the angel as well. And the same story, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be called John. He met him in the holy place. And Zechariah was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like 60 years old, There's no way my wife's going to have a baby now. Like, how can this be? And he was struck mute for his unbelief. Okay? 
struck mute for his unbelief. And now we have this comparison in the book of Luke of this very young girl who says, who is not at all in unbelief, but rather in saying a practical outworking of how is this going to happen? You know, how is this work? And the angel goes on to say to her that she will do this not in her own strength, um, but through the power of the Holy Spirit when he comes upon her. She is just a simple human being in whom the God of the universe asks to dwell. God is inviting Mary into his story. He's inviting her into the work that he is already busy with. And the angel encourages her. He goes on to tell her of the miraculous conception of her relative Elizabeth, that she is already six months pregnant. He's emboldening her faith. He's encouraging her. And, you know, I sat listening to this, these angels' words, and I just thought, you know, moms really need encouragement, guys. We really need encouragement for the tasks ahead. And we don't need criticism. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you a good example of what um, encouragement for moms today looks like, okay? It sounds like this. You are doing a great job. When you see a toddler melting down in the coffee shop after church today, you look at the mom and you say, you are doing a? When you see a mom with toothpaste on her coat and vomit down her back, you say? You're doing a great job. When you see a mom having a nap on the couch because she was up all night, you say? When she's shouting at her teenager in the car park, you say? You are doing a great job because moms need lots of angelic encouragement. Okay. So that you got for free. Um, mothers also really need community. Um, and what I found so fascinating after this text is that Mary goes directly to her, her, her relative Elizabeth. And she was probably there for John's birth and many days afterward. And she was probably well-mothered by Elizabeth herself. So mothers need community as well. So the angel is, is speaking all of these words of encouragement over our mothers. And then he lands on that famous verse 37 that we all know. Um, nothing. Mary is impossible with God. And what is so fascinating about this line is that these are words that we hear echoed from Genesis all the way through to Jesus. We can remember when in Genesis, the angel said these exact words to Sarah and to Abraham, and Sarah laughed in disbelief. How much more faith Mary had and then again, by Jesus in Mark 10, 27, he says these exact words to the rich young ruler who says, who can be saved? And Jesus says, with God, this is impossible. With man, it's impossible. With God, anything is possible. And so perhaps these were words he often heard from his own mother's lips. And I want you to see how our faith impacts the generations ahead of us. Because by accepting that word of faith from the angel, Mary actually proclaimed through and into Jesus' life, God can do anything. And I'm sure that those were words that Jesus heard often from his mom. So verse 38 
Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Mary gives her yes to God. She says, may it be, versus Zechariah's, how can it be? And she asks for no sign, no sign or promise that his words will come true. She simply yields herself to the call. Her humility and perhaps her age give rise to this. It gives rise to her being the carrier of God. And this was despite some pretty extreme consequences that were going to come her way as soon as that angel left that room. Consequences that I'm sure she was very aware of. Because to walk out of that door and to suddenly become pregnant as a 14-year-old girl, she risked a lot of stuff. She risked being divorced from her fiancé, because I'm sure he was going to buy that story. And she risked um, um, in, impending death in those days. Her fiancé could actually call for stoning if he didn't believe she was telling the truth. She could have been stoned for having an illegitimate child. And in the very least, she was probably going to bring a lot of shame to her family because she lived in a town with 500 people. I mean, everybody knows everyone's business. And how many people are going to believe the truth of an angelic experience? So Mary ran the, the risk, and the stakes were high. But the scriptures tell us that she had extreme courage. She gives her yes to God. She says, yes, you can come in. Yes, I will carry you. Yes, I will submit myself to you. Her yes changes the course of human history. But what I want you guys to really grasp this morning, and this is the most important part, that despite how the world has painted her and sang about her and worshipped her through the ages, the most important thing about Mary was not Mary. It's what fame misses about her. The most important thing about Mary is who she carried. It was who dwelled inside of her. The most important thing about Mary was Jesus. She was not a perfect person or a perfect mother. She moaned at Jesus a lot. And we can read in Luke, she moaned at him in the temple when they couldn't find him. She moaned at him at the wedding in Cana. Why isn't there enough wine? Um, it, there's even a text in Luke that says her and the brothers went to go fetch Jesus because they thought he was demented in the beginning of his ministry. They literally arrived and they said, your family are outside looking for you. They think you've lost it. All right? This is the woman that knows he was miraculously conceived. So she's not perfect either. But she has deep trust, and quick obedience 
and blind faith. And somewhere in the mix, Mary becomes a disciple of her own son. So the most important part of the story is not Mary, but Christ in Mary. And the beauty of that is that she had to not only allow Christ, the Christ child to physically grow in her, but one day she had to allow Jesus to come and be reborn in her. So Mary is a picture of every believer. Luke goes on to give us very small glimpses of this girl who follows her son on the road of discipleship. And I think that is what I find the most fascinating about her. She was one of the last disciples standing. Surely a mother's love, as we would know. But Luke tells us that she carries him from conception through to his birth, through his life. It tells us that she was there at the cross witnessing his death. She was there in the garden to see the tomb rolled away, the stone rolled away. And she was there at his resurrection. Um, Luke even tells us that she was there at Pentecost waiting for the tongues of fire to fall. And she was surely there at his ascension when he was taken into heaven. She had this very great privilege of storing up all this joy in her heart, as well as feeling the pain um, that he said the sword would pierce her own soul. So she witnessed it all. Can you imagine? So this morning, as I close, I want to show you a picture, um, if Sim's got it ready for us, of one of my very favorite renderings of Mary. And um, it's been a favorite of mine since I was in high school. And it's a, a sculpture by Michelangelo called the Pieta. And I've always resonated with it. And um, when you first look at the Pieta, I've always thought, wow, like, it just encompasses a mother's love, you know, of her holding her son. And I've felt that for my own life. But I think that the more we look at this image, we realize that God in all his majesty allowed us to hold him in all his humanity. And it's in all his humanity that he brings us to the fullness of all his glory. And it's through his pain and sacrifice that we can follow him. And it's through his resurrection that he gives us victory. And I know that this is a God I can follow because this is a God who has come close. He's not unreachable up in the sky as many of the gods are out there today. He comes close enough to hold. So he comes by a mother and he comes for a mother. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is held, and he's holding us. He carries us, and then we carry him. It's the great mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. So let's pray.
Jesus, we are just so grateful for your work on earth. It is such a privilege, Lord, to carry you and to know you. We just thank you, Jesus, that you are the God with skin on, that you come so close to us as to whisper into our ear, may I come in. Just as you came to Mary, Lord, you come to each of us and you ask to be planted in the womb of our hearts. into a place where you can grow and be nurtured and be carried. We thank you for this great privilege. And so this morning, I just really felt like praying for moms and dads who really need a miracle. You've been, you've been praying and you've been waiting and you've been asking the Lord and you're really, really longing for that miracle. Whether it's in your family or in yourself or in a friendship or relationship, whether it's a physical healing, whether it's an old wound, I'd love to pray with you today. So if you're waiting for a miracle this morning, would you stand and we can get some people around to pray with you? And it takes great courage and surrender, as we saw in the life of Mary, to continue walking on this road of parenting. It's a constant surrender of ourselves and a picking up of Jesus. So we're just going to take some time this morning. I pray this morning that you can give your yes to the one who is longing to heal you, to strengthen you, to fill you, and to journey with you. You can give your yes to Jesus coming alive within you.
And if you see anyone standing, if you could just stand with them in prayer and release prophetic words over them, pray with them. Pray for God's spirit to be poured out in this place. We say, come Holy Spirit. Come Lord. Worship you, God. Thank you. Standing for miracles in our family today. Maybe you even know of someone in this room that's really battling, that hasn't stood. Maybe you can go to them and pray with them as well. Sometimes we need encouragement from our brothers and sisters that know the journeys we're walking. Yes, Lord. We submit ourselves to you. Thank you. feel also what's very significant is is often we um, associate God as our father and it's quite easy to see him as strong and in control and bold but we don't see him in that motherly side and I really sense just as we end we've got a bit of time just the Lord just wants to love on us um and for some of us, I just get the sense while Marie was praying, like we maybe never encounter the Lord as a mother, which is always weird. It's weird for me to say that. And, and that's just my culture, where we come from. This doesn't sound right in a sense, but it's true. The Lord is not a, he's not a man. He's more than a man. He has 100%, because out of all of us, he's created. He's 100% woman, 100% man. And so the Lord comes as a bold father, but he also comes as a, a loving mother who nurtures 
who encourages and and so church I just can we just stand and as we stand just can we stay in this place just for a moment and there's two things that I really want us to do some of us if you are desperately desiring more of God's love you feel like you're in the dark night of the soul you, you don't know where you're going you just feel like there's a disconnection and I just feel like the Lord is inviting some of you to begin to encounter the Lord as a mother that motherly spirit and so I want you to just to sit in this place just for a few moments just to rest what will the Lord how he just wants to love on you in that motherly comfort and love and joy and the second one I just feel like part of loving is not just receiving but it's giving away and for some of us we feel like we've got so much to give and I feel like the Lord wants to say this is your sign this is an opportunity now just look around and see is there anyone around you that you you want to go love on you want to go and just pour out the Lord's love upon their lives and as we as we end off right now just look around and see is there anyone around that you can just bless give a word to honor and if that's you just go and and, and find that person just bless what the Lord is doing just give away what the Lord has given you freely receive freely give thank you Jesus so let's just wait upon him thank you Holy Spirit Can we just sing one verse and one chorus? And while we just sing, let's just allow the Lord to love on us and go and love on people around you. And then after that, we're going to end the service.
Jesus, you are great. Your love is overflowing for us. You say, how far is my love? As far as the east is to the west. It's never ending. And Jesus, I just pray for love encounters over us this, 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 this week, Lord, that we lay our lives down. We lay the things that in our minds. We give them to you as offerings, Lord. And we come face to face in the knowledge and the truth that you are with us, in the knowledge and the truth that you desire to be with us. You desire to embrace us. You desire to sit with us. We pray, Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you begin to birth a new seed of your love? Break through in darkness right now. Break through in lies. Break through in doubt and fear. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. And as all his people said, amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Can we give a round of applause to Caitlin, eh? Your first time. First time in the morning. Excellent. And Devet as well on the base. I saw that, eh? Sheesh. Okay, if you continue praying, continue going for it, continue soaking. The coffee shop is open. Please stay. Have a conversation. We have an evening service tonight at 6.30. Bless you guys.